all have a safe and blessed Memorial Day. I, um, we live in a time when it's easy to, we celebrate holidays and I'm in the, I'm in the banking world with my secular work and it's wonderful. We get all these holidays off, but it's easy to forget why we have these holidays if we're not careful. And, uh, you know, Memorial Day, of course, isn't about hamburgers and hot dogs and grilling and friends and. I mean, you can do that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not. I think it's a good time to get together. Uh, but of course, Memorial Day was established to remember those who served and gave their life, so that you and I could have freedom. You understand? We have a freedom to worship without fear this morning. We can gather. We have freedom to gather. Freedom to worship without fear of retribution, because there have been those who have fought and died given their life for freedom and so we celebrate that today and I was telling my wife and daughter this morning as we were riding to church I said you know I think about Memorial Day it's probably the holiday that most closely aligns with Christ I know some people think that's Christmas but when you celebrate somebody dying so that you could be free don't know that there's a holiday more closely aligned than The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died so that by his blood you and I could be made free. Aren't you thankful for that today? I am so thankful for that. Praise God. Praise God. I'm asking Brother Flowers to come. I know the Lord's going to use him today. I'm asking you to open your spirit. Amen. Praise God, Brother Flowers. Amen. I'll let you be seated. I appreciate the presence of the Lord that's here. It's great to see everyone, too. Everyone say relationship. The song that we sing... To worship you I live, I believe, is about as simply as you can boil down our relationship uh, with the Lord. Because I don't know about you, but I sometimes find myself wondering, what am I doing here? Why am I here? Why was I born? Why was I placed on this earth. And if you will remember that to worship him is why you live, it answers a lot of those questions really quickly. Now, also in relationship, uh, there's a question that I that I feel that since yesterday I felt myself asking. Um, I know I've asked it before. Um, to the Lord, and it's funny because you you could you could depending on your tone, um, the the question and the meaning behind the question uh, could change quite a bit. 
I don't know. Um, my mind goes, went back to a time I was hearing my, one of my aunts talk about um, something that uh, was a positive example in their relationship between her and her husband. She said she was, I think she was preparing a meal, a dinner or something, and uh, my uncle walks in the kitchen, rolls up his sleeves and says, what can I do for you? And she said, in that moment, I knew that he loved me and he wanted to help me and and he was willing to just ask that question and be told, here's how you can help. And so he simply said, what can I do for you? What do you want from me? But oftentimes that, that question can be asked in a very different tone. What do you want from me? What can I do? And the tone changes everything. The meaning behind the question. And if I'm honest, I can take that to God. And in the good times, Lord, what do you want from me? Tell me what to do. What can I do? And in the bad times, what do you want from me? What are you trying to get out of me? And that is why we call this a relationship, a walk with God. Because if you haven't experienced more than one dynamic in your relationship with God, I would question, do you really have a relationship with him? Genesis, I want to look at Genesis chapter 1. I've got a, f a few scriptures, different things here, but um, I'm starting here because I think we can learn from this. I believe, I believe the Lord wants to help us and give us revelation today along these lines. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Uh, I said it earlier, if, you, if, you, if you're asking yourself and God questions, and you remember that answer to worship Him, that is why you live, is sometimes if that's not good enough, go back to here. I mean, I don't know how much further back than there we can go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let, us have, let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea. Now, right there, if you're not paying attention, you could miss the simple fact that it doesn't say, I'm going to make Adam so I can have a relationship with him. Let us make man in our image and let them. That's plural. He intended to make more than just one human being. And that stretches and reaches all the way down to you and to me. All of these men, all of these humans, we're going to make, I'm going to make them in my image. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle, over the earth, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth. I haven't reached this stage of my life yet, but I've heard it said many times that once you have grandchildren, you really know happiness and, and, and joy because that's a, that's a relationship, that's an element, a dynamic that you don't reach or get to in, in any other way. But having children who then have children... And you're a grandparent. So God's instruction to Adam and Eve was, make me a grandpa. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. I like my children. I like my creation. But I especially like my children. I I got this this glimpse in my mind as I was thinking about this. I don't know, somehow out of five children, we only have one real animal lover. And we're starting to see this as she grows. Liberty just, she loves anything dog-related, horse-related, even cats and other those, those things. I'm sure if she had the opportunity, she would love to just run crazy in the pet store and see all there is to see. But I was thinking about this. If she was hit, sitting here today with a puppy... And me as her father, I would look at her and I would look at that puppy and I would have very different feelings towards her than I would the puppy. Yeah, the puppy's cute. I like it. It makes us happy, you know, and all that. It's good. But I don't have a relationship with that. The human, I have a relationship with. That's my child. That's my offspring. And so I want, I desire this relationship with that. God said, behold, I've given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of the earth and every tree in which the fruit is the fruit of the tree yielding seed to you. It shall be for meat to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air and to everything that creepeth upon the earth wherein there is life I have also given green herb for meat look at chapter 2 verse 7 the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and breathed the breath of life And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. When he created us. He he had already made everything that we need for our physical needs. In, in, In the first five days of creation. He made my food. He made my clothing. He made my entertainment. He made all of that stuff. And then he made me. And with Adam, it says he placed him 
in the garden. I don't know about you, but I always pictured Adam being created right in the center of Eden. But it says he made him and then he placed him in the garden. And he said, this is where I have created your environment, your, your habitation. So all that, I, all that we need, he's already made. And so he says, dress this field, keep this garden. And you've got dominion over all these things. Now look, I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 64. Because so far, really what we've talked about is the natural. The creation of the, of the world. Those things that supply our physical need. And Isaiah chapter 64 here. I'm going to read a verse 4. Isaiah 64 and 4. Remember Genesis 1-1 starts in the beginning. This verse says, For since the beginning of the world, all the way back to then, men have not heard, nor perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. So yes, we know that the physical need is there. It's, it's evident. He, 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 he creates them and says, this is your stuff. But Isaiah here is saying, there's more than just this stuff. More than the, the, the garden, more than the trees, more than the animals, more than the scenery, all of that, there is more. And your eye has not seen it. Your ear hasn't heard it or even perceived it. For those that, this scripture says, wait on him. So this tells me there is more. Everyone say there is more. In my relationship with the Lord, there is more than the things I can see, hear, feel. There's more to it than that. Knowing that, I bring this question to God. What do you have for me? What do you want from me? I know you don't want me to just be a gardener. You didn't create me so that I could learn how to plant the, the cleanest rose and grow the nicest fruit. That's not why I'm here. Why am I here? Look, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We've heard this scripture referring to what we've just read in, in Isaiah. Look at verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2 and 9. So this is Paul. He's going to quote Isaiah, and then he's going to explain what Isaiah meant by that. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. 
question for you. What day do you think in creation God prepared these things for us? Verse 10, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Did you catch that? We haven't seen it, heard it, felt it, can't touch it. But God has revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. There are things he's prepared for me. For this life. When you know we're not talking about heaven. In that passage. I've heard it said and and honestly I used to think of it as such. Oh my eyes can't see it. My ears can't hear it. But he's already prepared it. And I think. In my, in my understanding, I thought, okay, good. Maybe one day I'll get to experience that. Maybe if I get to heaven, I'll get to see the things that he's prepared. But Paul says, the Spirit has revealed them to you. Past tense. He has already revealed them to you. If he hasn't yet, he wants to. Now. Those things, the spiritual things... He wants to reveal them to us. So in my relationship with this understanding, with this background, I go to God and I ask God, what do you want from me? Or in this context, what do you have for me? What have you planned for me, prepared for me? What is your desire for me? I'm going to read a few scriptures. You don't have to turn there. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward. Catch this. Not willing that any should perish. The Lord is not willing that any. Everybody say any. Say that's me. I am, I am someone, so he is not willing that any should perish. That's something that he has for me. That's something that he wants for me, for me to not perish. But have everlasting life. That's something he's prepared for me. Now, I can't tell you if it was day one, two, three, four, five, six, Whatever day it was. But I can tell you. He has prepared for me. Everlasting life. He's not willing that I should die. That's what perish means. Die. An eternal death. But he is willing that I should have. Everlasting life. He wants that for you today. Everlasting life. That all should come to repentance. He wants that for me. He wants that from me to repent. 
He's not will- if, you're, if you don't want to perish, and he doesn't want me to perish, he's provided a way for me to not perish. It's through repentance. He's, he's willing that all should come to repentance. That's a spiritual thing. I don't go to the tree of repentance, pick off a fruit. All right, I've got this repent. No, this is a spiritual thing that he has prepared for me. First Peter 1, 15. But as he which hath called you as holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Sometimes I might be at this point in my relationship with God where I ask him the question, what do you want from me? And he'll show me a verse such as this. This is what I told my people. Be holy. Because I'm holy. That's what I want from you. If I'm honest with myself, in my relationship with the Lord, if I am looking for something that I can do for Him, give Him in our relationship, this is, a, this is something I can do for Him. Do you understand? This is not something that I do for you It's not something that I do for elder heart. It's something I do for God. Be holy. He chose his people, his Israelites, and told them, be holy, for I'm holy. I want you to be my people. This is what I want from you, to be holy. I couldn't tell you how much it would frustrate me if my children decided we no longer want to be associated as flowers. Yep, Dad, you've done a lot for us. You got us up to this point. But you know what? We like everyone else and we want to be like everyone else. What, what's happening there is the decision is being made to no longer be holy. The decision. God would not command you to do something that you don't have the ability to do. So as he commands you, be holy because I'm holy. I should know that I've got the ability to do that. Joel chapter 2. Verse 27. This, this whole passage of Joel is, is a prophecy of the Lord restoring his people, 
bringing restoration after they've gone through these different trials. And in the midst of it here, 227, he says, Ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Now, I told you, I, I, I'm presenting this in the, in the form of things that he answers me when I ask him, what do you want from me? This, and I'll be honest, this is in no way an exhaustive list. I couldn't put together an exhaustive list. But these are things that as he gave them to me to share, we're talking about here. What do you want from me? Well, my people, because of the work that I've done, my people, I don't want them to be ashamed. This is, this is something just like the natural things that, that God prepared for us, the spiritual thing that he's prepared for us. My people shall not be ashamed. Let me, read, uh, let me read you this definition. What does it mean to be ashamed? To be embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions, characteristics, or associations. To be embarrassed or guilty because of your actions, your characteristics, or your associations. My people should never be that way. Be ashamed. They're not good. I don't want my people to be embarrassed because of any characteristic that's on them. I don't want my people to be embarrassed because of their associations. Well, who, they're my people. Who are their associations? My other people and me. That's us. These are our associates. Lord, help us. I, if I don't feel, how do I want to say this? I should, I should be unashamed I'll, I'll reverse it, put it this way. If I showed up at your place of work or interactions and I met the people, said hi to them, got to know them a little bit, and left, I would hope you're not ashamed of me and the fact that we associate because we are in the body of Christ. I don't want Brother Lewis's boss, after I've left, to go to him and say, what's the deal with that guy? And, and Brother Lewis, oh, I don't, yeah, he's one of the, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> We're not all like that. Woo. But that's what it means to be ashamed. We're not all like that. I, I, I'm embarrassed or I'm guilty by the person the individual, if they're, letting, oh, if they're letting the Holy Ghost shine through them 
and it's being revealed into the heart of someone else, I want everything to do with that. Another meaning to be ashamed is to be reluctant to do something through fear or embarrassment of humiliation. Now, if the word of God says, my people shall never be ashamed, and the command or the instruction of God to you is to do X, Y, Z, and your thought towards that command is, if I do that, here's how it's going to lead to my embarrassment. Here's why I don't want to do that. You might, even not, you might not have even thought of it as such, but that is being ashamed. Moving on. Someone say amen. amen. Matthew chapter 16. This is something that he wants from me. Matthew 16 and 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So I'm at this point in my relationship with God where, man, I don't feel like it's going great, Lord. We're not that connected. I wish we were closer. And his thing, if I say, what do you want for me to fix this? And he comes back and says, follow me. Then I've got to, if I want to, again, if I want to, if I want that relationship with him, then I will examine and say, where are you going and where am I going? And how come I'm not following you? Matthew 4.18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This man they'd never seen, heard, known, at least not in that type of a relationship. If you, you, you've got your job, you're happy on it. Things are going well. It's a Tuesday afternoon. I read that's the most productive time, Tuesday afternoons at work. You're further, you're far, you want to know why? You're far enough away from on Monday doing the things you're catching up from from the last week that you didn't finish. And you're not close enough into all the things that you've got to do that week. So Tuesday afternoons, whew. So that's a good time. And imagine things are going well on Tuesday afternoon. And this man you've never seen before shows up and says, quit your job. And, we're, and you're going to work for me now. Follow me. <laughs> that's pretty intense, right? That's pretty serious. Uh, I don't know about that. But that, do you want to be a disciple? 
I'm not telling you to quit your job, but I'm telling you the level of commitment and discipleship that these men had, their willingness to follow. Luke chapter 18. Verse 20. Luke 18 and 20. This is, this is picking up in the middle of the context and the conversation that Jesus is having. We call him with this man, the rich young ruler who approaches Jesus and says, What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Let me look there. Eighteen. Look, eighteen and eighteen. Go back up to verse eighteen. This this young man. We call him young. He's a certain ruler. Notice what his question is and the way that he phrases his question. Good master, what do I need to do? Has he got a relationship with the Lord yet? I don't think so. But he's asking this question, what do you want from me? What should I do? What can I do for you? To inherit eternal life. His, his motive is pretty clear right there. And, and later, we know this, spoiler, spoiler alert, the verse later says he had much possessions. So knowing that about him and seeing the way that he phrases his question, what do I need to do to inherit This is a guy who knows what it means to inherit. If I align myself correctly with this individual or this family or this leader, this owner, boss, whatever it is, and I get myself in line, I'm going to inherit. So, good master, you, you clearly have some things to give. I mean, your, your fame is getting pretty renowned here. We've seen, heard your teachings, your actions, your miracles. It's all great stuff. What do I need to do to inherit that? Now, thankfully, the Lord was nice to him in his response. Nicer than some of us might care to be at a certain time. But he says, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. I almost imagine it as this man interrupting him to say, yeah, 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 I know all that. I've done it. 
I haven't stole, I haven't killed, I have honored my parents. I'm doing all of those things correctly. What's the good stuff? Really, what can I do? What do you need from me? Because clearly, following the commandments is not getting it for me. He said, all these have I kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, yet lackest thou one thing. One thing is missing. To lack means to not have it. This is a guy that had a lot of stuff, many possessions, and he's looking to inherit more. Gain, gain, gain. I need this. What can I have? Add to this stuff. And Jesus says, you're missing one thing. One thing thou lackest. Sell all that thou hast and distribute it unto the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. I've always looked at this passage and thought it was the man's possessions and being told to sell them as what caused him to walk away, as it says, sorrowfully. But what Jesus simply says is, the one thing you're missing is not all the stuff that you have, clearly. It's the one thing that you're not doing. So, if you want to get on this track, if you want to know the one thing that you're lacking, if you want to know what you need to do to inherit eternal life, follow me. But let me give you some advice. You're not going to be able to follow me while you've got all these possessions holding you down, keeping you back. So quick and easy, we'll just deal with that. Sell that, give it to the poor, and follow me. This, again, I don't think it's being told what to do with his wealth that was the problem. Because if, you're, if, if you are wealthy, which I am not, then I would assume you have no problem having discussions about your wealth and knowing how can I gain more? How can I be smart with this? Let's handle this correctly. And those kinds of intellectual conversations are stimulating. Let's talk about how to be benevolent for a while. Yeah, I consider myself a philanthropist. Man, let me tell you about the... I, I gave a guy a pair of shoes on the way over here. I have no problem giving to the poor. But when he heard those words, follow me. Hang on. Where you're going, my stuff doesn't translate. There is no currency exchange for a blank, follow me. Okay, can I bring my herds 
of cattle with me? Can I bring my camels and my sheep? Can I, how much gold are we going to be able to take on this trip? Easy. Sell all of it. That won't weigh you down. You won't even be worried about that. Now you can simply follow me. Part of following the Lord is forsaking my own possessions. What I'm doing in, in, in such, what I'm doing is giving up myself. The things that I identify with as me and mine. Or us and ours. Because without this, I don't know who I would be. That's the point. Who are you? Who are you trying to be? One more passage. John chapter 13. What does God want from me? I want, I want to look through this setting. In John chapter 13. I'm going to start at verse 4. This is during the Passover feast. Jesus and his disciples. It says he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. The phrasing of that response mirrors exactly the things we read about in Isaiah and 1 Corinthians. It hasn't entered into your mind. You haven't seen it. You haven't heard it. You can't perceive the things that I'm doing. Jesus says, what I do, you don't know. You don't understand why I'm doing this. But you shall hereafter. Hereafter means from this moment forward. Not three days from now, six months from now, in a year. From this moment forward, hereafter, you shall know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Peter saith unto him, thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Look down to verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If then your Lord and Master have washed your feet... This is, this, is the, this is why Peter had a problem with Jesus coming to wash his feet. Lord, 
I'm going to give you one more real-life example, equivalency, the best I can. I was on a job, not the current one that I have, but I was, and I do accounting. It's really boring stuff. I work on computers and spreadsheets most of the time. Most of you probably don't even care to know any more than that. So knowing that, I was sitting at my desk, and, and I was having this conversation with my boss about how to make this computer do the th things we want it to do for us. And it wasn't doing it for me. And my boss said, hop up for a second. Boy, when my boss sat in my chair and he began to make the computer do the things that I couldn't do, I felt about this small. That, no, boss. You're in the wrong seat. No, this is not where you belong. You get, okay, yep, yep, that's enough. Get up. I got it from here. Please, go. I'm not comfortable with you in my chair. Your office is down the hall. So when Jesus kneels at Peter's feet, and he says, Lord, Master, person in charge of me, are you really going to sit here and wash my feet? It's not happening. And Jesus' response is, if I don't do this, you have no part with me. If you don't allow this, we're not in this together. <laughs> you think Peter got the revelation? Absolutely he did. Don't, don't, no, don't, don't stop there. Wash my hands. Wash my head. Come on, this is good. So Jesus, as he's explaining this to his disciples, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet... Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Ought to. Ought to. Get that phrase in your mind. Ought to. Because it's the answer to my question. What should I do for you? What can I do? What do you want from me? Well, you ought to. You're not, you, you might not be doing it right now, but you ought to. Let me show you some things you ought to be doing. You should, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to please me in my relationship, you ought to wash one another's feet. Oh, but that's, that's, my, that's my brother. That's, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll, I'll wash his feet. That one specifically. Or hers. But really, I mean, if you're just going to leave it open-ended like that and say one another, that's like everybody. And there are some people here that I wish didn't fall into the category one another. And what he's saying is, I am the Lord the master, and he went down the line with each one of them, washed their feet, and each one left with the understanding, I ought to be doing this. 
Let's pray there in your seats. Lord Jesus, God, you are the Father, the creator of all things, and you're the Savior, you're the Lord and the Master. God, you've showed us by your own example how we should live, the things that you want from us, how we can please you, Lord. You've shown us in your word Jesus, your word is full of ways that we can please you, the things that we ought to be doing. I pray today, O oh God, let us know your word. Let us know your will. Let us know, God, what things we can do for you. We want to participate with you, Lord Jesus. We desire, O oh God, to be in union and step with you. God, we want to know, illuminate it in our, in our minds, God. Give us a revelation of the things, Lord, we can do to be your servant, to be your children, to be your disciples. God, you created each one of us from dust. Lord, you've placed us here for this purpose, for this reason, to follow you, O oh God. To follow you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to turn this over to Elder Hart. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for the privilege of following him? Following him. I, um, the Lord is... He dealt with us a little bit Wednesday night in this area. Um, I thought there as we went to wash, as the flowers was talking about, where the Lord said you ought to wash one another's feet. I remember as a kid, some of you can relate to this, we used to have services. They were always at the first of the year. Um, I guess that seemed like a good time. Uh, we would have a service at New Year's Eve. On New Year's Eve, we would start church late, whatever day that was. We'd usually start about 8 o'clock, and we'd have service and uh, usually have, like, communion after the ministry. And then after communion, all the men would go to one part of the sanctuary, and all the ladies would go to another part, maybe in the prayer room or something, and uh, whatever. We'd split in different places, and there would be basins of water, and uh, the men would take turns washing each other's feet, men would pair up. And ladies, I'm assuming we're doing the same thing. That's what we were told. We never went and checked on them. But, um, but uh, and it was, it was an act of servanthood and submission one to the other. Um, the Lord wasn't trying to instruct us that you really should have this pattern that you go through where you take water and soap and wash everybody's feet. You understand that wasn't what he was trying to convey. Uh, nothing against doing those things when the Lord would lead that. Uh, I, I've been in some of those, what we would call a foot washing service. I've been in some of those where the spirit and the presence of the Lord would move. Some of you here in this congregation, we've done that a few times on the journey. Um, but I, I've, I've been in some of those too where it was just going through the routine because that's what we did every year. And there was no more submission one to the other than people were picking and choosing. Hey, man, you be my buddy for this event that we're getting ready to do. I mean, they were, they were coordinating days ahead, I'm sure. 
That was contrary to what the Lord was trying to convey, you understand? Uh, you doing all right this morning? You listen with your spirit. I, um, where I work, the, uh, the CEO, his name is Kevin. And uh, Kevin made a statement a couple of years ago, three years ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was talking to a group of us. And uh, he made this statement. He said, I'm, I'm looking for a flattening of the organization. You're like, what does that mean, a flattening? And what he was saying is he's saying, hey, I'd like to get it to the place to where we stop seeing this boss and boss's boss and boss's boss structure. Now, he wasn't saying we're done away. We're doing away with that. You understand? God is a God of order. Workplaces where you don't know who's in charge and it's just everything that that doesn't work very long, if at all. Right. There's got to be somebody that I think the old saying is the buck stops here. Right. There's accountabilities and structure. But what he was saying was, you know, he wasn't saying I'm going to stop being the CEO and we're just all going to do that. But what he was saying is I'd like to see more mutual accountability regardless of role. Where there's a supporting of one another and there's a submitting one to the other regardless of role where. I can learn from somebody I lead, and somebody I lead can learn from me on the job. And, and it's not always about, well, who's in charge? Well, they're the, you know, Elder Flowers use the example of his boss sitting in his chair. The Lord was trying to convey that in the washing of feet. He wasn't saying to them, hey, okay, now you're God, and I'm just this foot washer. We know that, right? But what he was conveying to them was what he wanted them to convey to one another. Hey, One's no better than the other. You understand? This is so in the body. This must be so in the body of Christ. I could not help but think about when the Lord said the greatest commandment. What's the first commandment? Right. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Right? That's the first commandment. And the greatest Yes? It's not my words. It's his word. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then he makes this statement. We can dismiss this one. The second is what? Ah, there's the key. The second is like the first. See, we forget that part. We say, oh, I know what the second one is that he said. No, the second one's just like the first. Thou shalt love thy neighbor. How? As who? Like how? Thyself. That was the second commandment. We've talked about the Lord using us to reach. It's his design. It's his desire. We're going to do that. We're going to follow him in doing so. Following him in doing so. But there has to be this understanding that as I love him, it will manifest itself in the love of my brother and my sister. Where one is no better than the other.
That's what the washing of the feet was showing and sharing. I'm not putting myself above somebody. He would move down the line. You remember there was a guy named Judas sitting in the room too. You think he washed Judas' feet or you think he skipped him? Raise your hand if you think he washed him. Yeah, I don't think he skipped him. Because that's not the heart of God. Would you wash Judas' feet? Well, not our head now, but we, maybe we haven't faced Judas yet. Why don't you stand with me? Praise God. I want us to do something today. Um, we have a baptism before we leave today. I'm excited about that. Praise God. But I'd like, would you do me a favor just quickly without a bunch of fan? Would a lady find a lady, a man find a man? And could we agree together in prayer today? I'm not going to ask you to wash their feet. But would you please? And I'm asking it not be a family member. Okay? I'm asking it not be a family member. All right? Find someone that you maybe wouldn't normally find. Can I say it that way? A brother, find a brother. I want no one alone. No one alone. A brother, find a brother. A sister, find a sister. In Jesus' name. Praise God. I'm going to free you for a minute. Okay? I'm going to free Sister Lorenz so she's not up here hanging out by herself. She's a sister. And my wife's wandering around looking for somebody. So there you go. I just rescued them both. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Brother Rigo, come here. No, I, I, I'm waiting because I, I want to make sure nobody's alone here. This is so important to what God is doing in us and with us and what he desires to do. Some of you are a little nervous. You're like, well, this isn't church protocol. What are we doing right now? I'm not concerned with church protocol. I'm concerned with what does the Lord want to do with us? All right. So I want us to pray as the Lord would lead us. Pray for each other. This is not a one-way deal. We're praying for one another. All right? We're praying for one another. And we're praying the Lord blessing on our brother, the Lord's using of our brother or sister. We're praying, God, give us a heart that according to your word is submitted to my brother, submitted to my sister, where I can receive from them and they, where we can give and receive one of the other. Amen? Come on, let's begin to pray right now. Would you talk to the Lord? Come on, agree together. Let it flow out of your spirit.
in the name of Jesus Father none of us are independent we are interdependent one upon the other we need one another Father it is you who in your word declared that we would be joined together that you placed us in the body that we would be strengthened by the joining together of brother and sister I pray, God, give us a heart, the heart of Christ. Give us the mind of Christ that prefers our brother, that prefers our sister, that bears them up, that strengthens them, that never thinks ill of them, but only thinks of the best. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus. I dispel murmuring doubt. I pray a unity of the Spirit. Not a work of men, but a work of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray that your will would be done. That all the world would know that we are your disciples. By the love we have one for the other. In Jesus' name I pray. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for the placing of members in the body of Christ today. We thank you for placing of members in the body of Christ today. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 If the enemy wants to destroy you, the first thing he'll try to do is get you separated out by yourself. He'll send this message, man, I don't know if I fit. I don't know if I belong. I'm not sure they'd even notice if I'm not around. And we pull ourselves away and it's a tactic of the enemy. To get you by yourself. See yourself different. We're all different. It's God's design. I don't do like them. They're, we're not meant to. God didn't design us to be cookie cutters. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. I'm thankful for the body of Christ today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word today. We want to follow you. We want to do that which pleases you. I pray, Father, that you work in us both to will and do of your good pleasure. In our own ability, we cannot accomplish it, Father, but by your grace, by your grace, by your grace, I pray great grace upon us to walk according to that which pleases you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Feel free to greet somebody as Sister Priscilla is working with destiny. They'll get ready and we'll baptize someone here in Jesus' name.